We are in an exciting season of ministry here at Three Crosses. We have, for this year, started to align all of our services. So if you're here this morning, you might be thinking, hey, I feel like I just sang those songs. And I feel like we just went into Matthew 3. Well, you're in for a treat. We're doing it again tonight. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be spending the next few years walking through the book of Matthew. The theme of Matthew is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And so this is the gospel according to Matthew, the kingdom of God according to Matthew. And tonight we find ourselves in a perfect place for New Year's resolutions, fresh starts with John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. And together we will read Matthew 3, 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and so do I. His food was locusts, not mine, and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering the weed into his barn and burning up the chaff with an unquenchable fire." Let's pray together as we dive in. Father, as we dive into this new year, we, so many of us have been thinking about a fresh start that we want to make in our life. Think about our health, our fitness, our family, relationships, our relationship with you, our practices of studying your word and prayer, or maybe just reading books and growing our minds and filling ourselves with good things and connecting with good people. We, we know that this is a time of year that we want to set the tone for the year to come. And pray that as we look at this passage of Scripture and talk about this theme of repentance and preparing a way for you, that you would give us tonight an opportunity to prepare our hearts uh, for your entrance into it. And for those in this room who have no relationship with you, who have never put their faith in Jesus for life, and forgiveness of sins, we pray that you would clear away all of that stuff in their lives that has kept them from you and let them turn around and find you there. And for those of us who know Jesus, let us be people who live lives of repentance. Let us not get so caught up in religion that we forget to, that our, our God is one who forgave us of our sins and you forgave us of a great debt and we're so grateful for that. Help us not to stray from that, but help us to be people who live lives marked and characterized by repentance and the gratitude that comes from that. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How many of you have a New Year's resolution of any sort? 
I feel like New Year's resolutions are less popular than they used to be. It used to be like that was the thing, right? Everybody had resolutions. How many of you say, I don't like New Year's resolutions? They're dumb. Okay, see, a lot more of you than people who actually have resolutions. How many of you have just been procrastinating? You don't have your resolutions yet. Okay, very good. How many of you want me to give you one tonight? I'll give you a resolution tonight. I was talking with a woman this morning who has a son who's, I think, about six years old, and he came to her and said, Mom, I've got some resolutions for the new year. That I, I, as a six-year-old, am going to abstain from all vegetables (laughs) and stay away from all healthy food, and I'm only going to eat candy. And she's like, oh, great resolutions. Like, I'm just kidding. No one keeps their resolutions. She's like, how do you know that? How do you know at six years old that resolutions are dumb? Nobody keeps them. And yet, on, on one hand, resolutions are kind of invigorating. Like, I always get kind of excited. I don't make the resolutions because I always fail to keep them. Instead, I kind of think over the Christmas break, like, what do I want to be about next year? What's the trajectory that I want my life to be on next year? Where are some areas in my life that I've kind of gone into a weird place and I need to get back on track? Where are some places that I would love to see myself grow this year? What are some goals that I might have for myself or my family this year? What would I like to be reading about this year? If you're a reader, maybe you've started to put a little book list together. Some of you think, nerd, that's probably not you. Uh, maybe you've been thinking, okay, what do I want to buy this year? Right? This year is going to be a big year for me. I'm going to get married, right? And first I'm going to find a boyfriend. I'm going I'm to get my whole life together. I'm going to get a million dollars this year. I'm going to really break free this year. I'm going to do this thing. Some of you, how many have been thinking about making this year count? Like this year, 2015 is the year for you. Good. It's funny, Matthew chapter 3 is a lot like that. It's this refreshing passage where a man is coming out and saying, it's time to start fresh. It's time to start over. It's time to take the life you have been living and all the things that have been wrong in it and wash them away and start new today and start walking in a way where God will just usher in his kingdom in a powerful way. And if, and if he would have put it that way, we'd be like, yeah, John the Baptist. But instead, he encapsulates that whole idea with a word that we don't like that starts with the letter R, repent. And a repent, Pastor Larry told us this morning, repent is like this heaviness, this emotional heaviness that kind of creates in you a desire to turn around and start fresh. You get this feeling like, I need to turn over a new leaf, or I'm going this direction, I'm going to go that direction. I have this emotional heaviness that makes me want to change my mind about something. And with repentance, we know it's a religious word that God is calling us to change our minds about him and change our lives about him. And there's this emotional heaviness that comes with, I need to repent. And yet the word repent is misused very, very often. Have you noticed that? A lot of times, if you've ever had someone tell you you need to repent, it doesn't go well. Ever had someone tell you that you need to repent of something? It seems messed up. I did a Google image search for the word repent. And I expected to see a bunch of guys like on soapboxes, like, repent. Instead, it was a bunch of like cheesy Christian cross graphics that said like, repent and believe the gospel. And like men praying in front of God and like a real tangible Jesus like forgiving them. And I thought, this is a weird word, repent. And we don't use it in any context, right, other than the church. Other than telling people that they're sinners and they need to start being good people. 
Other than telling people, you need to change your wicked ways. I saw one soapbox preacher on the Google image search that held up a sign that said, repent and stop sinning, you sinners. I thought, okay, they get it. Like, and that word repent kind of rubs me the wrong way. And a lot of times it rubs us the wrong way. And yet John the Baptist, as he comes out of the forest, the wilderness, wearing his camel hair jacket, and his leather belt, which sounds fashionable, but I don't know how he made it. Eating bugs, right? And, and wild honey, which is pretty epic, like a guy just reaching into a beehive. Like, oh, all right, let's get to work, right? And he comes out and he starts telling people, repent. And if you ran into that guy in San Francisco, right? And some of you have run into that guy in San Francisco. I think he's like grew up with that bush guy. I think that's the guy the guy on the soapbox, the weird clothes telling you to repent, you run the other way. You don't want someone to tell you to repent. You don't want someone to tell you you're a sinner. You don't want someone who's never met you, who thinks he's better than you, to tell you that you've messed up even though he doesn't know you. He doesn't know what you've gone through. And religious people tell us to repent. Religious people who think they're better than us tell us to repent. I think they've got it all together, and we are these wicked sinners, and we need to turn our evil ways. And yet John the Baptist comes out, and he tells people to repent, and they do. If you read Matthew 3, like we just did, you see these people coming in droves, hearing his message, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and like confessing their sins and being baptized. Kind of like, have you ever seen that movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, it's like my favorite movie in high school. There's this scene in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? where these like crazy, like idiot guys are kind of bumbling through life and they come across this singing. It says Allison Krauss song and they're singing about going down to the river to pray. And this, they go and they see like all these people in white kind of walking past, like what's going on, right? And they're following them and all these people are getting baptized in the river by this like Southern Baptist looking preacher guy. And, and one of the like convict guys that was with uh, George Clooney and the other guy is like, riveted by them and he sees them getting baptized and he starts just like coming towards them to be baptized too and it's like I need to be baptized right and so he goes and gets baptized and he comes out and his friends are like what happened how did you go from this place that you were with us to needing to be baptized he's like I've been baptized and saved and the good Lord has forgiven all my sins and transgressions I'm on the straight and narrow from here on out told you I like this movie That's kind of what happens in the John the Baptist story. These people, you just picture them just coming in droves in response to a man in camel hair eating bugs telling them, repent. It's a powerful word back then. And now I feel like if you get up on a soapbox and say it, you'll have people leaving you or heckling you or throwing things at you or making you eat bugs, I don't know. And yet it's a touchy subject because there are people in our life that we know need to repent. Not because we think they're wicked sinners, but because they've told us there are things in their lives that are destroying them. And some of you have those friends who come to you and they say, oh, my boyfriend, he's the worst. He says these things to me and he's dating these other girls and yet I can't, I can't get over him. I can't dump him. You're like, dump him? You've got to start fresh this year. It's like, okay. And then you come back. How did it go? Oh, I didn't break up with him. We got back together. It's like, no, you need to change your life. You need to get rid of this guy, Right? 
In the sense, it's like you need to repent. You need to change your mind about this relationship and start a new one. And so we wish we had the John the Baptist power to go to those people and say, okay, I'm going to tell you a single word. It starts with R. And when I say it, you're going to want to like, it's like you're hypnotizing them, right? When I say this word, repent, you're going to want to dump this terrible boyfriend. But friends that we see going down paths that are just terrible and they know it. And it's like they're in this like tractor beam and they can't stop it. And we wish there was something we can say to turn them around, but what are you supposed to do? Go to them and say, repent. God's mad at you. He doesn't like what you're doing. Wish I had the John the Baptist power. Just say a word and people say, you're right. My boyfriend's terrible. I just broke up with him and I moved to Australia. I'm done, right? You're right, you're right. This addiction is killing me. I just checked myself into rehab. You're right. How is John the Baptist so powerful? When John the Baptist was born, it was like a special circumstance. An angel comes to his parents. His dad goes mute until he's born. And people are like, what is going on here, right? And then John's born, and they're having this naming ceremony. And they're like, okay, he's going to be named Zechariah after his father. And then all of a sudden, his dad becomes unmute, like unmute. And he goes, his name's going to be John. And they're like, whoa, okay, his name's going to be John. And then people start whispering, who is this child going to become? Like something's happening here. God's doing something here. Even the religious people who come to see John the Baptist at the river, they ask him, who are you? Are you the Messiah? And John's like, no, no. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Who are you then? He's like, I'm just a voice in the wilderness calling out, prepare thee the way for the Lord. I'm just a voice. And yet John the Baptist was a powerful voice that caused people to move from death to life with an offensive word. And three reasons I think John the Baptist's ministry was so powerful. One, we need to understand that words are powerful. That word repent is a divisive word. We know that. Yet there's something powerful about words. And this reminds me of the Jonah story. Have you ever read in the Old Testament, there's a book called Jonah. And there's this prophet that God says, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach against them. And Jonah hated the Ninevites. And so, you know, you would think, good, I want to go and tell them they're wicked sinners. But Jonah knew that if he preached the message, people would repent and be saved. And so he runs away because he doesn't want to see these sinners get saved. And God grabs him through a fish and spits him back out and says, now go to Nineveh and tell these people to repent. And Jonah walks up the street through Nineveh. And he gives this, like, half-hearted message. I just picture him kind of like whispering it, right? All his whole message is, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. And the Bible tells us in the book of Jonah that when the people heard that, they were cut to the heart like, oh no, they were convicted. We're going to be overturned. We must turn to God. And so they repent of their sins, and God forgives them, and he stops the calamity. And Joseph's like, I knew it, God. I knew you'd do that. And we see in the Jonah story that in this simple word that Jonah didn't even want to say, God worked powerfully through it. 
Paul was a convert to Christianity in the New Testament. He was a Christian hater, and then Jesus met him and made him a Christian and said, now go tell the world about Jesus. And so he went out into all these scary places where people wanted to kill him, and he told people about Jesus. And in one of his letters, he said, I'm not ashamed of this message that I'm preaching. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of anyone who believes it. And Paul understood that there was power in the words of the story of Jesus. That if he just goes and says, just so you folks know, there's a God. His name is Jesus. He came to earth. We killed him, but he raised from the grave and ascended back into heaven again. You need to believe in him. That somehow that simple message opened people's eyes and it opened people's heart because words are powerful. The reason we don't want to tell someone to repent, and you don't have to use that word, but the reason we don't have to want to go into a conversation with someone who's on a really bad path and sit down and say, hey, I'm concerned about where your life is headed, is because we know that if we say that, they can be furious because words are powerful and the truth is powerful. And yet every once in a while, those words that even though they punch you in the face when you say them, the person walks away and says, they're right. I need to change my life. The hard thing is we don't know when we're going to get punched in the face and when we're going to see repentance. You know, we see our kid going on some bad path and we want to talk to them about it and we're scared that if we do it, they're just going to get mad and run away, right? And we don't know, are they going to run away or are they going to say, oh, Father, you're right. I have been cutting school too much. Thank you so much for bringing it to my attention, right? It seems like such a long shot. The funny thing is the reason we don't want to talk about it is because our words are powerful. They make people angry. But John the Baptist used a word that made people angry, and they turned to Jesus. There's a divisive power in the message that God gives to you. And sometimes you're going to share it with people, and they're going to be so thankful and be saved. And sometimes you're going to share it with people, and they're going to hate you. That's what Jesus said. He said, don't be surprised when people hate you. That's They hated me too, Jesus said. But isn't that why we don't want to tell anyone about Jesus? That's just me. (laughs) Isn't that why we don't want to go and talk to someone about something that's hurting them? Isn't that why we don't want to say, hey, I, I know you like this relationship, but I see that it's causing you to become a terrible person. Isn't that why? Because sometimes it works, but most of the time they hate us. And so we just hope they figure it out on their own. And John was a weirdo, right? camel hair and locusts and stuff. <laughs> but sometimes weirdos have the best ministry because they don't care what people think. And they'll say things that the rest of us will be like, no, you can't say that. <laughs> and then it works. You ever seen that happen? You got a buddy and he's just going down a bad path and you're like, oh, I don't know who's going to talk to this guy. And then he runs into some weirdo at a bar and the weirdo's like, hey, man, you got to dump that girl. He's like, you're right, you're right. And then he dumps her. like, are you serious? <laughs> now, the, yeah, all right. So that's, that's something. Words are powerful. The second thing that I see in John the Baptist's ministry is that timing is powerful. That God does not just work through words, but God has a timing for everything. John the Baptist wasn't just in a vacuum, right? If John the Baptist came into San Francisco today and stood up on a soapbox and started yelling, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, maybe it would work. 
But I don't think it worked because John the Baptist was awesome. I think it worked because God chose to work through John the Baptist at that specific time. You see that prophecy from Isaiah that he was prophesied that he would come and tell people to prepare for Jesus to come. And when God sets up his word with his timing, it's like an explosion happens. The hard thing for us as people, we are people, is that we don't know when the timing is. I heard somebody say that preaching the gospel is kind of like you're standing in an auditorium like this and every seat has a barrel in it. And some of, the, the, some of the barrels have gunpowder in them, and some of them are empty, and you're just up there throwing matches, right? And that's kind of what confrontation is. That's kind of what ministry is. That's kind of what hard conversations are, is sometimes the word God has given you is going to ignite someone's heart because there's gunpowder in it, and sometimes it's not there, and they're just going to get mad. And you don't know until you say it. You don't know if you're going to speak words that bring life or words that bring brokenness in your relationship for a time. You don't know that. That's why this is hard. And God is powerfully working through his word, and God powerfully works in his time. Hey, there's some times we know are not the right time to share hard news, right? Someone's angry, or they're mad, or they're depressed, or they're drunk, or they're whatever, right? And they're in a bad place. You don't want to come around them and say, you need to repent, I told you so, right? Usually that doesn't work, right? But there are times that seem more appropriate. Like someone comes to you and says, man, I hate this relationship. What do you think I should do? Sometimes that's an indication that God's saying, timing, timing, timing. Say the hard thing now. Sometimes we don't get those opportunities. And so we just have to pray, God, give me the right time. And if not, show me if I should just blurt it out. Remember when I first started coming to the church, there was a guy my age who had just recently gotten saved on a youth group uh, Mexico missions trip. He was on the trip. A buddy brought him on the trip. And he was driving down to Mexico. And somebody asked this guy, hey, are you going to heaven when you die? And the, and the guy's like, yeah, I think so. And then his friend who brought him turns to him and says, no, nah, dude, you're going to hell. And he was cut to the heart and he got saved right there. See, I told you sometimes weirdos do better than us, right? You wouldn't think that would work, but it did. Sometimes I wonder how much more fruit would I have in ministry if I just started saying the thing that I'm too scared to say. Because I always think the timing's wrong. And sometimes you don't know if the timing's right until after you say the words. Words are powerful, the timing was powerful. And the third thing I see about John the Baptist's message is that his message of repentance was a positive one. That's what struck me more than anything else in Matthew chapter 3 is every other time in my life I've heard about repentance, it's always negative. Like repent or burn, right? Repent or perish. Repent, stop sinning, sinner. And John the Baptist says, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And some of you are thinking, no, he talks about a winnowing fork and hell, and he does with the religious people. But with the crowds that are coming, his message is simply repent, for Jesus is right around the corner. That's a cool message. Now, I saw a bumper sticker one time that said, Jesus is coming, look busy. <laughs> and that's not the message. That's not the message. Because on one hand, it's Jesus is God. Then you're like, okay, well, when he comes, i got to make sure. Oh, oh, hey, Jesus, I was just praying, you know, right? That's not John's message. John's message is Jesus is coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? And his way of asking that is, is by saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Something great is coming. 
There's something amazing right around the corner. He starts alluding to this one who is coming, who is amazing. John says, I'm not even fit to, t- to hold his shoes or to tie his sandals, whatever it is. I, I couldn't even do that because he's so much better than me. And he's right around the corner. And when he gets here, you better be ready for him when he comes. So if somebody famous was coming to your house, like imagine you were like the world's biggest Taylor Swift fan. One of you in here is, I'm sure. <laughs> You've been, like, following her on Instagram. She, she's, like, giving gifts to her fans. Like, I hope I'm next. I hope I'm next, right? And then all of a sudden you get this message. Like, she, like, comments it on Instagram and says, hey, uh, I saw you've been following me. I appreciate that so much. Uh, I'm in San Francisco. I want to come by your house tonight. You're like, what? Me? Really? And so you, like, send her your address. And she's like, I'll be there in 20 minutes. What are you going to do? Like, oh, you got to go get ready, right? So you run home, and you're, like, mowing the lawn, and you're cleaning your house, and you're pushing stuff in the closets and closing the door and taking down all of the whatever, all the guys that she dated posters and just putting up Taylor Swift posters everywhere, right, and putting on her music, but not too loud, right? And so you get the whole house ready, and you light the candle. You're like, Taylor Swift, hey, oh, I was just hanging out. I didn't know you, right? You get ready. <laughs> I wouldn't do that, but you might do that. <laughs> That's kind of the image that John the Baptist has is saying, hey, you know, Jesus is coming and you're going to want to be ready when he gets here. Trust me. Repent. And the funny thing is these people kind of has this catalytic moment where they realize, man, I got to get my life together. And so they come in droves and they confess their sins and the sins get washed away in the river, right? And that, that beautiful image of a fresh start as they come out of the water, like I'm ready to meet the Lord. I'm ready to meet the Lord. I'm ready to meet the Lord. And then the religious people show up. And John the Baptist is like secretly hilarious, I think. Because these religious people show up and they're wearing their like religious garb and they're traveling in packs like religious people do. And John the Baptist thinks like they look like, <laughs> like a group of little baby viper snakes. Like just like, Google brood of vipers sometime and look at the images and you'll see that's exactly what he thought these Pharisees looked like. These little like packs of snakes like just traveling around like Jafar or something from Aladdin. Right with the hats. And he looks at him, he's like, you brood of vipers, welcome. (laughs) And he says tongue in cheek, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You're here because you need to repent of your sins? I didn't know you had any sins. Because religious people don't think they have any sins. Did you know that? And he kind of starts kind of poking at him and saying, listen, guys, you, you can go through the religious motions of repentance, but we all know that you don't think you need this. He says, instead, why don't you bear fruit in keeping with repentance? Show us that you are people who need this because you're broken, sinful people. Don't just show up and do this religious ritual. And that's kind of hard because a lot of us in here, we're not those non-Christians who need repentance to meet Jesus. We're religious people, right? We've followed Jesus for a while and we know him and our sins have been forgiven. And a lot of times we think like repentance is what is the entry point to Christianity, right? Like you're a sinner and you're over here and then you meet Jesus and you repent and you turn around like, oh, hey, Jesus. And you get washed clean and now you're a Christian and you should be a good person now. And so you try to act like a good person now because repentance is for down there and now you're over here. Martin Luther is this famous Christian from the 16th century. He said all of a Christian's life should be one of repentance. 
It's not just the moment of entry into Christianity. It's a moment by moment, day by day, season by season practice where we're constantly coming before the Lord and realizing we're broken and confessing our sins and reveling in the fact that when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and he forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now that, that verse, if you want to memorize a verse this year, 1 John 1, 9, it's 911 backwards, right? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He'll forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John's not writing 1 John to non-Christians. He's writing it to believers. So if you've got sin in your life, confess it, confess it, confess it. Big question for you if you're a Christian in this room is, is your life one that exudes religion or does it exude repentance? The people around you know you as a religious person? A good person, holier than thou, you know, that kind of thing? Or do people know you as a repentant person? Are you someone who's quick to say, hey, I messed up? Are you someone who's known to be humble, not bragging all the time, not making excuses for all the times they've messed up, not pointing at everyone else as a sinner and saying, yeah, I'm not like them? Are you a repentant person in your heart? Or is your heart one of religion? Like if Jesus was right around the corner, like I got a text like, hey, just so you know, Jesus is stopping by 613 tonight, right? Would you be excited because you want to show off you? Or would you be like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, right? I'm so, I could never stand in his presence. And you're convincing yourself, no, I, I can because of him. That's why he's so amazing. And he'll accept me because of him, not because of me, right? Sometimes religious people feel like they've earned heaven, like they deserve heaven. Even though they started out saying, I'm a sinner, now they're like, well, yeah, but now I'm good enough to earn it. But John says to these religious people, bear fruit in keeping, from repent- in keeping with repentance. He says, you think you're exempt from the judgment because you've got religion. You know that Jesus is coming. He's going to separate out the sinners and the believers. And you're not exempt from that because those who know Jesus are in, not those who are good people are in. Do you really know him? Are are you truly repentant? Are you forgiven of your sins because you confess them? Or have you just found religion to be a place where you can show off and be a good person and let people like you because you're good at it? Repent, religious people, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, this year, I think most of us would say, I would love God to do something great through my life. And the hard thing is, you know, we can't control that. You can't control if God's going to, like, bring a thousand people to Christ through your life this year. You can't control the fact if God's going to do something great through you or something small through you. But we all wish that God would do something amazing through us. And yet John's message is, you can get ready for God to do something amazing through you. Just repent. Prepare the way for the Lord. He talks about making paths straight, like Jesus is coming and just make it easy for him, you know? And sometimes I get scared, like, if our lives are off, like we're doing something dumb, and then God calls us to do something, what are you going to do? There's a passage in Scripture in the New Testament that says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And it's interesting, the the whole idea of drunkenness is, if you're drunk, you're going to be disqualified from the Spirit of God working in you. You're going to find yourself on the floor somewhere. You're going to find yourself passed out somewhere. You're going to find yourself unable to drive or wherever you're at. And God's going to have a mission for you that you can't take because you're under the influence of something other than him. Be filled with his spirit. That's the repentance thing is get your life to a place that when Jesus shows up, you're ready to go. And Taylor Swift shows up tonight. You love her, right? 
She's like, how? I didn't even think about this, but I need to ride to the airport afterwards. She's like, oh, I'll take you. I'll take you. I'll take you. I'll take you. She's like, okay. You're like, I just need to get gas in my car. She's like, ah. And someone else comes in and says, hey, I can take you right now. She's like, okay, say it, thanks. And Lee's like, no, Taylor Swift, right? <laughs> John the Baptist presents repentance as this thing that gets you ready so that when Jesus shows up, you can step on board. And I'd be like, oh, Jesus, hey, I know you've got this mission for me, but I got this junk in my life, and I got this relationship. This boyfriend's not going to let me go on this mission trip. You know what I mean? Like, be ready. Sometimes we think we can handle all this junk in our lives because we've got it managed, but we don't realize that when God calls us to do something, the junk is holding us back. This junk is making us so we can't leave. If you're hooked on drugs, you can't leave your house and go somewhere because you'll have to leave the drugs, right? If you're hooked on a terrible relationship, you can't go and get connected at church because your bad boyfriend, your bad girlfriend won't let you do it. You can't connect with what God wants you to do because the sin in your life or the dirt in your life or the mess in your life is holding you back. So when he asks you, you say, God, I'd love to do that, but give me some time because i got to fix out all this stuff first. And John says, just get ready. So if he calls you to do something, so you can just go. Repent. And that's why I love that we do communion every week at 613. Jesus gives us two ordinances, two of these sacred activities that as Christians we partake in that kind of help us to remember the covenant we have with him. And one of them is baptism. And baptism is the once and for all statement that I'm all in. This Christian author Max Lucado says that baptism separates the tire kickers from the car buyers in Christianity. Right, once you're baptized, you're a Christian. Not like it makes you a Christian, but you can't be like, oh, I'm still on the fence. Like, no, dude, I saw you up there. You were baptized. You're in, right? And some of you haven't been baptized. He's like, I don't know if I want to say I'm in yet. That, that's what baptism does. Is it kind of separates out people who say, I'm all in. Jesus is Lord from people who are like, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet, right? Next week, we have a baptism service. If you're a Christian, you haven't been baptized, maybe this year is how you go all in. You say, I'm in. No turning back. Everyone's going to see me. My sins were washed away by Jesus, and I'm telling the world I've been baptized at 613 or Sunday morning, whenever you do it. Sign up to be baptized. That's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. But communion is one that we do regularly to remember. A pastor called Tim, named Tim Keller calls bapti- or communion a covenant renewal ceremony. We remember the relationship we have with Christ. We realize that our sins are forgiven by his, his body and his blood and his death on the cross. And his resurrection gives us life. And when we take this bread tangibly and we dip it in this cup and we eat of it, we remember his death. And we remember that his righteousness gives us righteousness, not our being a good person. And so tonight as we take communion, some of us, maybe all of us, need to repent God, there's stuff in my life I need forgiveness for. And the beautiful thing is that 1 John 1, 9 passage tells us, you're forgiven. And then when that forgiveness comes, come and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember that his death is what gives you life and what grants you forgiveness. And then walk out of these doors tonight and live lives keeping with repentance. Be repentant people. (laughs) Don't be like the brood of vipers. And be like the folks who are so excited that their sins have been washed away that they can't wait to meet Jesus. If you want to get baptized next week, we would love to baptize you. At the end of the service, we'll put up the phone number. You can call us or text us or jump on the 613 app or go on the Facebook, go to threecrosses.org. We have like 100 ways for you to do it because we really want you to get baptized because we know that that's a moment for your faith journey where you say, I'm not moving back. 
You can't get unbaptized. I'll just tell you right now. If you say, come back to me and say, I want to get unbaptized, say, sorry, you can't do that. You get baptized because you say, I'm in, I'm never going back. And if you try to leave after you get baptized, we're going to try to chase after you because you said you're all in, right? It's kind of scary, but do it. That's coming up next week. But let's pray together, and then let's take communion in a moment. Let's pray.